listeners, and welcome to the 60th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I cannot stop thinking about something I saw yesterday at work. Uh, shortly before I learned from my colleague Jamie that Rari was gangsta shorthand for Ferrari, I was discussing Jeep Wranglers with another colleague of mine, Justin Pink, who either used to own or still does own one. I'm not quite clear on that. I'm sure he'll clear it up for me tomorrow. Um, but we were talking about aftermarket parts and how there is such an incredible amount of support for the Wrangler that, and I think I'm right in saying, doesn't exist for any other car, at least not in the same breadth and depth of selection. But one thing we saw as we perused rooftop tents and, and other parts, uh, one thing really stood out. It was a sliding platform that mounted to the top of the Wrangler's tube frame and is something I'm still not clear on the purpose of. In, in the pictures we saw, it wasn't really used for hauling anything, and some kids were perched up on it as it was slid almost all the way off the roof, suspended over the back of the vehicle. If it's hard to visualize, just picture a flat metal deck with no supports, then tack that on to the back roof of the Wrangler, and, and that's pretty much it, I, except it slides forward. Why does it slide? Why not just sit on the roof? Why, why, why place your children up there unless they're in some sort of timeout and you're not worried if the kid falls because, uh, hey, that means more me time? I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm 100% on board with aftermarket parts. No car I have ever owned has ever stayed completely stock. But I think sometimes parts exist not because they serve a purpose or fill a demand, but because the people making them are convinced someone will buy it just because. But I guess if you think about it, that's kind of the point to the Wrangler, too. It's not a very good vehicle for anything except off-roading, it just kind of exists just cause. Kind of like this podcast, too. <laughs> well, then maybe the sliding roof thing isn't such a dumb idea. Here are your top stories. Donald Trump this week celebrated a small victory in a preamble battle to the trade war that he wants to start and insists will be very easy to win. Uh, China announced that they will cut import tariffs for cars from 25% to just 15% starting on July 1st. Car parts will also be cut from 10% to 6%, which will help lower the cost to build new cars in the country as well. In exchange, the U.S. has lifted a ban on products from Chinese telecom company, company ZTE Corp., which had apparently just been crippled by, these, uh, by this ban. Uh, set to benefit most from the relaxed tariffs are Volkswagen and luxury car makers like BMW and Mercedes-Benz, who don't produce any cars in China. Tesla also benefits, as do some premium Japanese brands, which will now be able to compete cost-wise on a more level playing field with vehicles produced inside China. This doesn't particularly help Ford or GM, who have already established extensive production in China specifically to avoid high import tariffs. And with the 15% import tariff in place, there isn't much likelihood that brands will magically decide to start producing cars in the States again and ship them over. There's also some rich irony in the fact that Germans seem to benefit most from the actions of the U.S. president. 
And while China cuts their import tariffs, Trump heard only the phrase import tariff and decided, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's look into that. And assigned the U.S. Secretary of Commerce to do some homework. Uh, specifically, Trump wants him to initiate a Section 232 investigation into the import of automobiles, trucks, and auto parts to determine their effects on America's national security. And right now you're thinking, oh, this is supremely stupid. But remember, it has happened twice that Ford Fusions from a plant in Mexico were caught in the U.S. loaded down with a bunch of weed that some drug mules north of the border failed to offload. So it's entirely possible that cars are the single greatest source of drug trafficking in the United States. Or maybe it could be that pot should be legalized and regulated and we wouldn't have people smuggling it in, and that two examples of some incompetent drug cartel don't exactly signify a trend. In any case, the Commerce Secretary will decide. But Trump's call for the investigation itself has been met with widespread condemnation from... Well, kind of everybody. Uh, it's being regarded as a waste of time and resources that could end up not only harming our relationship with other countries, but harming American consumers through generating higher prices for goods, much like tariffs on steel and aluminum have done. Moreover, most consider it a stretch to think that an import tariff has anything to do with national security, with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau going so far as to say it rests on even flimsier logical grounds. Um, the Automotive News has a great roundup of all the quotes uh, just absolutely lambasting the move, but the best and probably most concise uh, comes from John Bazella, who's the CEO of the Association of Global Automakers, who said, quote, The U.S. auto industry is thriving and growing. To our knowledge, no one is asking for this protection. This path leads inevitably to fewer choices and higher prices for cars and trucks in America, end quote. So, who is it that's going to win this trade war again? If various tech billionaires are to be believed, the future of vehicles is electric and autonomous, so none of us idiot humans can continue getting behind the wheel and killing one another. Uh, the problem is, though, we idiot humans aren't exactly totally on board with that whole giving up driving thing. Uh, in the wake of several high-profile stories about people dying in cars driven by half-baked and implemented too early autonomous systems, public fear of autonomous vehicles has grown precipitously up to 73% of a recent AAA survey. Demographic-wise, the biggest jump was in people aged 20 to 37, going from 49% afraid to 64%, while still being the age group most inclined to ride in self-driving cars. Women in particular are scared, with 83% saying that they don't want to ride in autonomous vehicles, and a whopping 70% of them saying they don't even want to share the road with them. Now, Elon Musk will blame this on negative coverage of fatal wrecks involving autonomous tech. Journalists and safety pundits will blame it on companies rushing out technology that isn't ready for mass consumption. The truth is, they're both right, but only the latter led to the former, and although autonomous vehicles may end up being safer than humans, they have to prove it first. And as Uber suspends its autonomous testing in Arizona, costing 300 people their jobs, by the way, and others scale back plans to launch driverless cars on roadways, it looks like there's a way to go yet. And just this week, they didn't do such a great job of proving it. On a test drive with journalists in Jerusalem, a Ford Fusion run by LiDAR makers Mobileye 
blew through a red light during a presentation of the technology, completely ignoring the signal. Fortunately, there were no collisions and everyone's okay, but it brings to mind Uber's incident where the autonomous Volvo failed to react to a pedestrian. Mobileye claims that their cameras saw the red light, but that the electromagnetic interference from the broadcasting equipment used by the TV crew inside the car screwed with the signal from the traffic light transponder, and the transponder signal trumped the cameras so the car cruised right on through. CEO Aman Shua said it was a very unique situation. We'd never anticipated something like this, which is exactly the problem with autonomous technology. There's no possible way to anticipate all eventualities, so these self-driving cars will never be 100% safe. The company claims to have fixed the issue, but won't go into just how. Uh, despite all this, the morons in Ohio have stated publicly their desire to become the, quote, wild, wild west for self-driving car testing, end quote. And if, in case you think I'm kidding, uh, those were Governor John Kasich's exact words. Uh, for those wanting some more words from the governor, he said, Computers do not comb their hair. Computers do not text. Computers do not talk on cell phones. And this technology, which is going to be the 21st century technology, is going to save lives. Yeah, right up until the point where the not texting, combing hair, or talking robot completely ignores a red light and T-bones someone to death. Not only is Ohio allowing self-driving cars, while other states that have done so are reevaluating their programs, they're allowing autonomous vehicles without humans in them, though a licensed driver does need to be monitoring this system and, and be able to avoid accidents in case of system failure remotely. Uh, this, to me, just smacks of a government that has no idea what it's doing and is grasping at straws for a way to bring some sort of investment into the state. And sorry, Ohio, where I am actually headed on Saturday, but this was a really short-sighted, poorly planned move. In neighboring Pennsylvania... Uber announced that they would resume testing their autonomous vehicles on the street of Pittsburgh, despite the Arizona closure, which I'm sure was very fun for Pittsburgh's Mayor William Peduto to find out via Twitter. After the fatal crash in Tempe, Mayor Peduto suspended Uber's right to test pending the completion of a federal investigation and that they would discuss how to safely resume after that. The city has outlined several changes Uber must make to continue testing, including limiting top speed to 25 miles per hour, which the company is apparently fine with, and they say they met with city officials several weeks ago to discuss picking up where they left off, but when that last thing on your to-do list is call the mayor, you may want to get that checked off before hyping yourself on social media. Oh, and, and speaking of that federal investigation, there is some news on that. The, the NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board, stated that the, the self-driving Volvo Uber in Tempe recognized both the pedestrian and the bicycle she was walking across the road and had six full seconds to react to her, but instead the system did nothing, not interpreting the woman as, you know, a human. Even at 1.3 seconds before impact, the Volvo safety systems determined emergency braking was needed to avoid hitting the woman, but Uber had disabled their system so it didn't interfere with theirs. The NTSB study hasn't concluded yet, though, and they haven't settled on a probable cause, so I'm not sure why Uber thinks this meets with Pittsburgh's mayor's com completed federal investigation ultimatum.
Uh, meanwhile, in Norway, the land of my ancestors, a company called Columbus has decided the future of buses is now, and they will be rolling out completely autonomous Easy Mile Easy 10 buses, which accommodate 15 passengers and can reach a blistering 28 miles per hour. Uh, except they won't be completely autonomous because Norway doesn't permit fully autonomous vehicles on the road like a responsible country, so each bus will feature a safety driver. Oh, and, and the buses won't be hitting 28 miles per hour because Norway will require the bus to be limited to just 7.5 miles per hour. Oh, and the buses won't be filled to the brim with 15 passengers because Norway will require the company to haul only six people at a time. But starting in June, those six riders per bus will, I'm sure, have a great time speaking to their driver about watching the casual runners fly by them along their route. Here are some headlines. The royal wedding was last weekend, and some mushy shit happened, and an American is now a princess or something. But after the ceremony, the really interesting stuff happened, because Prince Harry drove off with Meghan Markle in a 1968 Jaguar E-Type that had been converted to an all-electric vehicle. Called the E-Type Zero, the vehicle stays true to the look and feel of the original, but has a 170-mile range and takes only 5.5 seconds to hit 60 miles per hour. Considering the old 3.8-liter 6 and the E-Type took 6.6 .6 seconds to make the same sprint, and probably had a similar range due to, well, shitty gas mileage, it looks like a pretty good improvement. Unfortunately, it seems like you sort of need to be a prince to afford one, since the E-Type Zero costs a whopping $470,000. I mentioned last week that Apple has the second highest number of autonomous vehicles testing on California's roads, and this week they went and signed a deal with Volkswagen that put the company's self-driving technology in some of the Germans' T6 transporter vans to be used as shuttles for Apple employees. Uh, but the New York Times reported this week that those successes only mask some serious issues at Apple's autonomous project that have seen hundreds of employees abandon the program for those in development by other companies. Apparently, they're four years behind schedule, have no real goals or directions, and the employee shuttle is taking all of the Apple car team's attention. In fact, the deal with Volkswagen comes after Apple had been turned down by several other auto manufacturers, including BMW, which was apparently Apple's first choice. They lucked out when Volkswagen got caught cheating with their diesels and needed to play catch-up on some of the more advanced technologies. Uh, whether this partnership extends beyond an employee-use shuttle remains to be seen. Um, while people know enough about autonomous cars to fear them, uh, a recent study from the United Kingdom demonstrates that uh, people still don't know all that much about cars. Uh, the auto car survey indicated that a third of respondents cited range anxiety as a reason they wouldn't consider a hybrid vehicle. While such a response might make sense if we were talking about electric cars, which, uh, once their range is exhausted, they become big, heavy bricks of metal and batteries until they're recharged, hybrid vehicles still have a gasoline or diesel engine, which can simply be refueled and sent on their merry way again. 
the publication suggests that automakers using the terms electrified or plug-in or PHEV may be contributing to some of this confusion, which is understandable. But just like gentrification and Montgomery Gentry sound sort of similar, electrified and electric mean very different things. Um, but it doesn't bode well for us that drivers can't tell the difference between types of fuel sources and sort of goes to show how dealerships and marketers aren't really doing their jobs in educating consumers. Uh, website IC Cars looked at data from the NHTSA's Office of Defect Information website from 2013 to 2017 to come up with a list of all the vehicles with the most and fewest recalls. At the uh, crap end of the list are some vehicles you'd expect, uh, the Dodge Charger, Durango, and Ram, and the Chrysler 300, uh, but some you probably also wouldn't, like the Toyota 4Runner and Nissan Pathfinder. But the absolute bottom three are the BMW 3 and 4 Series, the GMC Sierra, and the Mercedes-Benz C-Class, supplying further evidence that German engineering is the greatest myth ever popularized in automotive lore. Um, on the fewest recalls end, uh, there are familiar names, Toyota's Corolla and Camry, as well as Honda's Civic, uh, Accord, and CRV. but the top two were the Chevy Equinox and the Hyundai Accent, with just 0.1 times the number of recalls compared with the industry average. Sometimes you just get it right the first time, and sometimes you're the Mercedes C-Class. Um, a few months ago, Amazon and Volvo partnered up to announce that the car company would allow the, uh, well, everything company to deliver packages directly to the trunk of your Volvo, which is handy if you live in a place where your boxes get constantly stolen off your porch. Now, though, they're turning that program on its head, and Amazon will be shipping Volvos to customers with Amazon Prime. Uh, that is, for test drives, and only if you live in Britain. Uh, but it's Pretty cool. Basically, you order a test drive on Amazon, and the vehicle will be brought to your house or workplace for you to try out. Being a pilot program right now, drives are only available in four cities in England, and only on the weekends, and only as reservation spots last. And with a novelty factor like this, I would bet those spots are going pretty quickly. But with automakers constantly trying to find new ways to get cars into consumers' hands, I could see this sort of thing really taking off. So maybe look for that to come here. Tesla kicked off this week with some specs on the forthcoming all-wheel-drive dual-motor Model 3, which in performance model form is uh, capable of hitting 60 miles per hour in a supercar-fast 3.5 seconds. The dual-motor car will start at $78,000, which is creeping awfully close to Model S territory, while the $35,000 base models the public was promised remains months away, um, if not even longer than that. Uh, they're aiming for the BMW M3 with the dual-motor model and will make mo more money off the more expensive versions, which help finance the company to be able to ramp up production and eventually start rolling out the cheaper models. To that point, Tesla says they were able to churn out an impressive 500 cars per day last week, which is incredible progress and, and legitimately should be applauded. That said, your applause can stop right now because uh, the day after the dual-motor news... Consumer Reports and Edmonds published updates to their reviews of the Model 3, finding significant flaws with Tesla's entry-level car. Both publications found that the braking performance was worse than that of a Ford F-150, which is not great news for a small sedan. 
Uh, further, performance was widely variable, indicating a lack of quality control. Both also found that the single center display was hard to navigate, and they bemoaned the lack of buttons, pointing out that having to navigate through menus to get to the air conditioning controls takes your eyes off the road, which isn't very safe, especially when you have a longer braking distance than a full-size pickup. Edmund says that they've had so many issues with the screen and various error messages and, and needing to reset the whole system that the test team has actually started sharing a Google Doc for everyone to list the problems with the vehicle they experience. Elon Musk has responded that all of these things can be fixed with over-the-air firmware updates, which is a neat trick, but also one that seems like it shouldn't be necessary in the first place. Finally, we learn that Tesla has filled one of the many executive spots left open by someone leaving, bringing in a new head of engineering. Uh, Stuart Bowers comes to Tesla from Snapchat, where he served as VP of Monetization Engineering. Now, if you're thinking, well, Snapchat seems fairly different to a car company, I wouldn't imagine that there are too many overlapping skills needed in both companies. Then you're thinking exactly what I'm thinking, because you're smart, and this seems like a really weird and maybe dumb move. Motorcyclists have a couple new choices when it comes to helmets these days, with uh, Scully apparently finally ready to launch their Phoenix AR helmet. This, you may remember, was talked about sometime last year. It's a helmet featuring a heads-up display that shows you maps, messages, speed, and a bunch of other things right inside your own can. Uh, the company has gone through some, uh, let's say, hiccups and is under new ownership, but insists that the helmet will be available this summer. The price, though? $1,899. For a helmet, that's more than half the cost of my bike, which I, I realize I got pretty inexpensively, but I've never paid more than $200 for a helmet, and that was Snell approved, let alone 10 times that for some features that I would call nifty, but hardly essential. I think that's kind of a hard sell, Scully. Um, but also available is uh, Bell's new ProTint visor, which is basically uh, takes the photochromatic technology from those transition lens eyeglasses and applies it to an entire motorcycle helmet visor. Um, I have a helmet with a flip-down sunshield, which works pretty well, um, but I do have to reach up and activate it, whereas the ProTint automatically adjusts to the light level of whatever you're looking at. I'm not sure how this sort of thing would perform when racing through a, a wooded area with blinding sun peeking through the trees and stuff, but it's a pretty cool concept that uh, will be compatible with all Bell helmets that have their, their Panavision viewport. Uh, what's sort of surprising to me is that it took this long for a company to take tech that was popular when I was in high school and finally apply it to motorcycle visors. Uh, in other motorcycle tech news, Bosch debuted a new technology this week that utilizes side-mounted thrusters to help a bike stay upright when it might otherwise fall. Uh, they demonstrated the technology in a video that's pretty cool. Um, it, it covers a pretty common event. Basically, the road surface changes in the middle of a turn. Often, if you're riding quickly, going through a turn and hit a gravel patch, your tires slip and the bike falls out from underneath you in what's called a low-side crash. The thrusters basically blast out a single charge of compressed air in the direction of the slide, helping the bike stay upright until it can regain grip after the gravel patch. Honestly, riding a bike can get pretty scary sometimes, so with the advent of better safety tech and airbags and now the freaking thrusters, 
it's pretty cool to see companies trying to make it safer. Unfortunately, they're still in development, so no word on a timetable for deployment. After the German government decided in February that cities and states would be able to decide on banning specific vehicles for health reasons, Hamburg, a city of about 1.8 million people, said, Okay, then. Uh, so starting on May 31st, any diesel vehicles that do not meet the Euro 6 emission standards will be banned from one street that is just less than a mile long and also another street about a third of a mile long and will only apply to commercial vehicles weighing 3.5 tons or more. Now that's what I call being tough on environmental crime. Yeah, you filthy truckers, you go drive your big coal-rolling delivery vans on literally any of the other streets in this city, but those two streets, those are off-limits. Wow, way to show them, Hamburg. Uh, speaking of cleaner vehicles... Uh, data company Jado Dynamics has crunched the numbers for this year so far and has declared a new leader in the global electric vehicle sales race. Uh, if you had to guess based on this podcast, you'd probably venture something like the Tesla Model S is on top or maybe the Nissan Leaf or even the lovely Volkswagen e-Golf because they're all global brands and pretty darn good cars, right? Well, they're lagging pretty far behind the current leader, uh, the BAICEC, which is a Chinese vehicle we can't get here. Uh, two things it has going for it are it's cheap, costing less than $22,000, and it's for sale in China, where electric vehicles are all the rage and people don't really care about the fact that it only has a 125-mile range. The Leaf did come in second place, but... It sold in about uh, it sold only about two thirds the number of vehicles that the BIC did. Considering that the Leaf is for sale across the world and the BIC only in China, I think it just goes to show how incredibly far ahead the Chinese market is in EV adoption. And to that point, Toyota has actually jumped on the Chinese EV bandwagon and announced that they will begin selling the all-electric iX4 in dealerships. Haven't heard of that vehicle? Well. Neither have I, because it's actually made by Chinese company GAC, which I'm only pretty sure is not pronounced GAC. Um, Toyota has partnered with the company to gain a bigger foothold in the Chinese market, and not having a full-on full EV of their own ready to go yet, they needed some of GAC's cars in order to meet with the Chinese government's mandate that 10% of all vehicle production be electric by next year. So, how does the iX4, which is based on the hilariously named Trumpshi GS4, rate when compared with Toyota's other vehicles for sale? Uh, according to Beijing-based JD Power analyst Jeff Kai, quote, the GS4 is a good car with acceptable quality, end quote. Wow, acceptable quality? That sounds great. Uh, it's very trendy nowadays uh, to use recycled products in everything from clothing to furniture, and it seems like cars are now even getting in on the action. Uh, in fact, many automakers are using uh, soy-based insulation for wiring harnesses as a good, non-flammable, and eco-friendly alternative to rubber or metal. Um, they're so eco-friendly, though, that they are attracting other parts of the ecosystem, namely rats, who are finding your wiring, wiring harness particularly delicious. Um, owners of several vehicles who have reported living in rat-infested areas, I guess, have uh, had to shell out hundreds or thousands of dollars to have parts replaced when rats have uh, dined on their precious components. Uh, Mustang owner Janice P 
Herzigian recently dropped $600 on a new wiring harness and reported to Car Scoops that she's now spending $20 per week on pine saw, essential oils, and dryer sheets to try to keep the rats away from her precious pony car. Apparently, nobody has informed Janice that there are such things as rat traps. Um, and if it's not rats, it's their bushy-tailed cousins, squirrels, causing the problems. Uh, this time of year, it's apparently common for squirrels to be hoarding pine cones, and uh, what better place to do so than in your cozy little engine bay? Uh, recently, a man in Michigan posted a photo of his friend's Dodge Journey, which had been laden with an, a massive 50 pounds of pine cones by at least one really industrious rodent. So remember, if you park outside or on top of a rat's den, uh, prepare for some automotive chaos if you don't take any measures to stop it. Uh, now, getting your car stolen sucks. Uh, having to then ride your bike because your car stolen also sucks. Finding your wife's stolen car while you're riding your bike not too far from your house, that doesn't really suck, but that's exactly what happened in L.A. this week when thief Erica Puig was caught red-handed driving around Venice Peach in a CX-5 she had apparently stolen. The cyclist, who used his bike to stop the car in heavy traffic, called the cops as the thief got out, realized what was happening, happening, then rather quickly started jogging the other way. Uh, she didn't get far, though, because everyone in L.A. always has their phone out, and everyone was filming it, and uh, bystander actually caught her. Um, as if you need a warning, don't steal cars. And, and if you do, then don't use them as your own personal car. And then if you do, don't drive around right near where you stole the damn car. That's just dumb criminaling, people. Uh, a new world record uh, for speed was set recently at a fairly blistering 105 miles per hour in England. And uh, you're probably thinking, well, I had my Honda up to 120 that one night when I was driving back from Tulsa. One, that's very dangerous and irresponsible of you. And two, uh, the 105 miles per hour was set by a shed. Uh, that's right, crazy Britain Kevin Nix took a Volkswagen Passat chassis, threw out the body and blown motor built a freaking shed on it, and then shoved a 450-horsepower Audi RS4 motor in it. He even got it registered as road legal, and it sits on a hydraulic suspension so it can sit on the ground and look like a shed when it's not hitting triple-digit speeds. Unnecessary? Yes. Do I love it? Also, yes. Now for some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my well with my all it took was me buying a GTI for Volkswagen to announce that they're working on a new version, with an updated GTI slated to arrive sometime next year. But in the meantime, last week we got a look at the Golf GTI TCR concept at the annual Werther C uh, GTI meeting. It's basically the standard GTI with the performance package, with the engine tuned to put out about 290 horsepower and 270 foot-pounds of torque which is just shy of Golf R territory, despite still being only front-wheel drive. Uh, it also adds an extra gear to the dual-clutch auto transmission, bringing the total to 7 speeds, and goes through a locking differential. Uh, there are also bigger brakes, two extra radiators for tracking it, lowering springs, and some new bumpers and an Acropovic exhaust. Unlike the Club Sport Edition, though, this won't be limited to a limited number of vehicles, so you should be able to just go out and order it soon, or just before the 8th generation GTI debuts. That is, 
if you don't live in America. Meanwhile, I'll be buying a $400 chip and getting probably just about the same performance. When I was searching for a car, finding one that had the right balance of practicality and fun was honestly pretty difficult, as uh, most cars lean one way or the other, and uh, the ones that have both generally cost too much to make sense. Uh, and Honda gets us, which is why they debuted this week the Honda Civic Type R pickup truck. Uh, where once there was a back seat and hatchback trunk area, there's now an open-air, diamond-plate-covered steel bed wide enough to fit two Honda lawnmowers in case you and a friend want to start a lawnmowing business and need to get from house to house very quickly. Uh, strangely, it still has most of the trunk, uh, the exterior trunk of the normal Civic Type R, including the gigantic rear wing, which looks a little silly when paired with some beefy roll bars and an open steel bed. Uh, those sort of car pickup things, or utes, have been, always been really popular in Australia, uh, which is just like the bizarro United States, so I don't know quite why they never caught on here. Uh, that said, there are zero plans to ever put this into production, uh, which, although it makes complete sense, is a damn shame, because it's a cool, fast Civic pickup. Uh, next stop will, for it will be the Nürburgring, because every little ridiculous automotive niche has to have a lap record set. Also debuting this week with no hope for mass production was the Ferrari SP38, which is basically just a 488 with different bodywork. But my, oh my, that different bodywork. It is an absolute gorgeous car, and a styling direction I really wish Ferrari had explored rather than the path they actually took with the 488. Uh, the company says it was created as a bespoke model for one of their most dedicated customers, which I would very much like to figure out how to become, uh, especially if it means the Italian supercar maker will build me my very own car. Uh, go look this one up, folks. The, S the Ferrari SP38. It's worth it. In other vehicles you should totally Google this week, it's a new electric car from Chinese manufacturer Geely. As you may recall, Geely owns both Volvo and Lotus, so they have access to some pretty neat technology and design studios that are really churning out some excellent-looking cars these days. So there are high expectations for this car, the catchy-named Geely Condi GL Eagle K23. And, well, maybe maybe we set our expectations a little too high. Uh, mostly because this car looks like it's the spawn of a, a smart 4.2 and one of those extra-long electric golf carts for, like, 12 people, but enclosed. And then it was, like, abducted by the aliens from the Predator movies who grafted their face onto it, uh, and then they turned it over to a chrome-toothed vampire who, vi who bit it and then, like, shoved it down the stairs. So, either way, it's electric and it's not coming here, which is just as well, because here in America, we have a thing called taste. Uh, so, no obituaries this week, but we do have an anniversary. Uh, happy birthday to Hot Wheels, the toy that first debuted 50 years ago at the New York Toy Fair. Uh, their first die-cast model was a custom 1968 Chevy Camaro, which went on sale on May 18th. In the intervening five decades, the company has sold uh, 6 million cars with 20,000 unique models. They churn out an impressive 130 new designs every year and make 17 cars every second, which I'm sure is a feat Elon Musk would uh, love to recreate. 
Uh, soon you'll be able to grab five 50th anniversary replicas of some of the original models that they made back in 1968. So if you're a toy collector, be on the lookout for those. Finally this week, it's an election year, so we're starting to see all manner of crazy political ads based on some reality vaguely similar to our own. Uh, one came out this week attacking Germany and Volkswagen, apparently for fixing their cheating diesel cars and then offering them for sale rather than having them rot on a closed football stadium parking lot forever. Take a listen to some of it. German leader Angela Merkel must think Americans are a bunch of suckers. Now Volkswagen plans to dump massive amounts of cars on the U.S. market below cost, putting American jobs at risk. This helps Germany, not America. President Trump, fresh off historic progress with North Korea and China, now has a chance to tell Chancellor Merkel that unlike President Obama, he will not allow Americans to get cheated. Now... I try not to get too political here, but this ad clearly wasn't written by car people, so I wanted to reach across the aisle on behalf of us car people, and I invited the narrator of that clip here to the Midwest to experience my very own cheap German shitbox for a follow-up video uh, to his first one. So here's how it went. Here in the heartland, communities and lives are being torn apart by the cheap German cars flooding into this country, sent by Angela Merkel and her evil socialist Volkswagen lackeys. I'm here with an American sucker who fell victim to the Germans' evil plot. How do you feel about being a tool in the grand scheme to undermine American labor? Well, I mean, not too bad. The car's great, and American companies don't really make any worthy competitors to the Golf GTI. Not after Ford kills off the Focus, anyway. So you're telling me that it's more important for you to drive something that makes you look like an unpatriotic fool than to drive an American compact hatchback like the Chevrolet Spark? Which is made in South Korea. Well, what about the Chevrolet Cruze built in Lordstown, Ohio? <laughs> you, you mean the car that Consumer Reports scored lowest in its class in reliability? The, the one where all the models built in Lordstown were recalled because the engine compartment kept catching fire and the steering wheels kept falling off? Surely some quirks are a small price to pay for supporting well-paying jobs for your fellow Americans. I, I'm generally not in the practice of subsidizing other people's lives by purchasing inferior products that I need to sustain my own life. How selfish of you. I mean, I guess. So, how do you live with such a cheap German car, sold here only so German special interests and politicians could exercise their financial might over poor Americans? I mean, I can show you the interior and go for a ride in this cheap thing. Great, now our viewers can understand the full toll it takes for Americans saddled with their vehicular mistakes. I assume this is an underpowered diesel engine that belches plumes of cancerous black smoke. How do your neighbors feel that you're contributing to their early deaths? I mean, they don't seem too bothered. I've gotten quite a few compliments on it, but this is actually the gasoline-powered turbo four-cylinder that actually gets around 34 miles per gallon on the highway. Oh, not bad. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but what's a really cheap German car like this to live with every day? Honestly, it's great. It's quiet, the controls are all intuitive, the interior space is really maximized for both comfort and cargo capacity, and these bucket seats are really comfortable. Yeah, is, is this real leather? Yeah, and, and they're heated. 
Oh, <clears throat> Leather, huh? Sounds just like some spoiled liberal elite consumerism. So, to be this cheap and still have leather, you must live in constant fear of mechanical failure from the overrated German engineering. Well, I mean, I only have about 5,000 miles on it or so, and you do sort of have to worry about VW electrics. Aha! So the truth comes out. You live under daily threat of catastrophic failure due to cheap German electrical parts while robbing hard-working Americans of their jobs. Building other vehicle types I don't want. Yes, but why? Why choose this, this Merkel-mobile, over a Ford F-150 or Explorer? Uh, because of this thing. What, what, what is a boost gauge? <laughs> I'll show you. Oh, that's neat, right? That's it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. Uh, I'm not sure if there was really anything to learn from that last skit, but it's just enjoyable to make fun of the idiotic political ads that float around every two years or so, or more frequently, it seems, nowadays. Um, I'll leave you today with some spy footage from what looks to be the next generation Aston Martin DBS Super Leggera or Vanquish. Here, friends, is your moment of zen.